Want to cut cooling bills without cutting comfort? Lower utility costs and enjoy cool and consistent comfort with a highly efficient air conditioner from Luxair. With Luxair's consumer rebate program, educators, nurses, first responders, military personnel, and veterans can enjoy exclusive rebates on qualifying purchases of Luxair equipment. To learn more, call Chris Brewer at Affordable Heat and Air, 317-656-7945. They'll recommend a system tailored to your home that provides comfort, energy savings, and lasting performance. This is Trackside with Kurt Cavan and Kevin Lee. They'll head to the start-finish line, waiting for the sign from the starter, waiting for the green flag. It flies, and the 2022 Indianapolis 500 roars into turn number one. Connor Daly takes a peek to the inside of Scott Dixon at the start-finish line. And you can hear the crowd. They jump to their feet, and they start pumping those fists. Connor Daly, the Hoosier, to the top spot at Indy. Davey Hamilton, a drive through penalty yeah. for Scott Dixon. I seen when he came in, he sped. He, he locked, had the tires locked up on pit entry. And Dick Yeoman, you saw Marcus Erickson make the pass. Set him up like we've seen so many times down into turn number one. And Jake, we see down the backstretch, Marcus Erickson's pulling away. The final couple of laps of the 106th running of the Indianapolis 500-mile race. Green flag is in the air of the starter. They are at speed, and Marcus Erickson trying to move around to disrupt that air. He gets to the start-finish line first. And the white flag flies on the 106th running of the Indianapolis 500-mile race. Pato Warren to the high-sided one. He jumps to the outside. They go wheel-to-wheel, but Pato has to jump out of the throttle. Marcus Erickson leads to the short shoot. Quiet swing, quietly has made his way to the front, and now a half a lap away from winning his very first Indianapolis. 500. A car length as he swings low, now back high to turn three for the final time. Marcus Erickson is snaking around. Pato Ward and Tony Kanata are skulking with Felix Rosenquist. Marcus Erickson with a five car length advantage and the caution flag has come out due to an incident in turn number two, Mark. Marcus Erickson flies under the twin checkers and he has achieved racing immortality. He wins the 106th running of the Indianapolis 500 mile race. Hello, welcome. Trackside 93.5, The Fan in Indianapolis. Thanks for joining us tonight. Josh Molinix is in Indianapolis. I'm Kevin Lee. I'm not in Indianapolis, but I'm not far away. Uh, Kurt Cavan also, I don't think, is in Indianapolis proper, but he's not far away. Thanks for joining us. Uh, big program tonight. Later on in the show, the brand new COO of Ray Hall Letterman Landing and Racing, Longtime top executive at Honda Performance Development recently with Chip Ganassi Racing. Steve Erickson is going to be on the show tonight. It is a tradition. Most every year we have our correspondent from the Chili Bowl in Tulsa, Oklahoma. Dylan Welch is driving once again, trying to make the A-Main again. He will join us from Tulsa with cars in the background coming up in about an hour or so. And also a new motorsport uh, media venture that we'll tell you about a little later on in the program. Thank you for being on the show tonight. Uh, I believe it's January 10th, Kurt. And and I believe for the second time on a show day, I got outside. So I'm in a good mood. It was, you know, my, my 50-80 rule. I don't go outside and run if it's below 50. I did break that on New Year's Eve because it was sunny and it was New Year's Eve, and I went out on a 43-degree run. Today, it was 52, 
and I'm a little bit hustled to get ready because I got started late. I actually came back and it was it was pretty much dark. Tried to catch up on some things. Uh, so we'll kind of make it up as we go along. But I do believe I think I know what our number one topic is beyond the fact that it's 52 degrees in Indianapolis in January. And it feels like we can go to the racetrack anytime. And in many cases, many will coming up in, oh, let's see, a week and a half. Uh, I think the 11th IndyCar driver was named to a Rolex 24 ride today with Will Power. So we'll we'll get into that a little bit later on. But we probably have to start with the latest soap opera. Is that the way to describe it with um, the Andretti Global Group's efforts and continuing, I think, in all of our opinions, ability to strengthen what they bring? And yet again, uh, it's a ho-hum, really, what are you bringing? We don't need that. This is This is amazing the way this is all going down. Yeah, this is a fascinating story. It's not as fascinating as Alex Pelope driving for two different teams <laughs> in the same, you know, breath, uh, or at least the same week. But, uh, this is interesting. Uh, Andretti, I thought already had a strong enough case for permission to be involved in, in, uh, Formula One and, and to, uh, you know, build that tradition of, of American motorsports, uh, in F1. But lo and behold, uh, they're not happy with, uh, the decision or at least their ho-hum decision, I think, or ho-hum reaction. I think you described it pretty well by the Formula One community to Cadillac, the Cadillac brand and General Motors in general supporting and being involved with Andretti Global's efforts to put an F1 program together. Uh, how much General Motors is going to be involved, uh, still, I think is to be determined. Is this kind of a, a sponsorship? Is this an active participation? Are they going to build motors in the future? You know, you, there's all these things. And I think we have a sense, but I don't know that we have the complete uh, pathway to uh, participation laid out in front of us yet. But regardless of that, this was big news that General Motors is going to be involved in, in the Formula One effort. And, you know, this is, you know, this is, um, this is a big timer. And if you're any other motorsports series, you would expect that it would be welcome news that General yeah. Motors wanted to participate. And yet, you know, we don't live in the F1 world. So it's a little difficult for us to get our heads around why someone wouldn't want a player of that nature to be involved. I mean, it's just huge, huge news. And, you know, it, it, we can get into it a little, little bit more, but it sounds like Honda could become along as, alongside the, the partnership to have Andretti, to have Michael, to have Mario, to have Colton Herta, perhaps. All these, you know, big elements that we see as big elements, at least, are pretty much pushed to the side by the people who want to keep their pot of money intact. And it's... um I, I, I would look at it like, let's grow the pot of money, but um, apparently they don't see it that way. And so we will uh, watch this saga continue to unfold. And and by the way, uh, Forbes.com had a story from Bruce Martin today who talked to Michael Andretti, who is adamant that this is not just Cadillac and GM badging an engine. It goes deeper than that. Yes, the first year would be badged because there's not enough time. Um, but they are going to be involved in the development. Now, the other side could argue semantics in that, that, you know, you can always say that you're adding some technical expertise, 
but what are the full innards? But, but beside that, I'll try to summarize some things. So, you, you know, I like to cut and paste things and, but there have been so, there's been so much written in the last week on this. I got like four pages. So I know we all enjoy reading with Kevin, but not to that extent. So I'm going to kind of try to make it up as I go along. And then you add in and correct from your recollection what we have. Now, I, I think I mentioned last week on the show, a positive comment from FIA president Mohammed Ben Suleiman that, you know, expressed more support for Michael Andretti. And now we see why, because then a couple of days later, we got the release combined with Cadillac and Andretti about them working together. And then I saw another tweet from and, and that he's only one half of the entity. So it's not like he can just green light things. The other half is Formula One management and the teams. So Ben Suleiman cannot just say, I want them they're in. It takes more than that. But he sent out then after this came out and there was some pushback. His tweet was, it's surprising there's been some adverse reaction to the Cadillac and Andretti news. The FIA has accepted the entries of smaller successful organizations in recent years. We should be encouraging prospective F1 entries from global manufacturers like GM and throughout with racers like Andretti and others. Interest from teams in growth markets adds diversity and broadens F1's appeal. And what keeps coming back. So originally the, the criticism of Michael's entry was a well, one. They didn't like that. He went public with it. This is the wrong way. Really? <laughs> you know, th- this is coming from a group of team principals who like to bicker on the broadcasts about penalties and use every public forum they have to try to get what they want. Okay. If that's what you want to spend, that's fine. And then it was, well, it needs to be additive. The Andretti name is not enough. And essentially it's how much money are you going to make us? That's only going to take away 10% of our profit because essentially the pie is split 10 ways. And if now we're splitting, splitting in 11 ways, that pie needs to grow. What are they doing to grow that pie? And so, okay, we'll come back at you. Now, one way they're growing the pie is it was a $200 million expansion fee. But that's short term. So that gives them some money for now. But the way Formula One is growing, okay, we got to revisit that. So you bring in Cadillac and GM. And as you said, any other racing entity is going to say, that's it. That's all we need. Count them, lock it in, you're done. But these other owners, they're not looking out for the greater good. They're not looking that GM is going to help market and brand. It is all And this, I think, goes back to the Bernie Ecclestone model, which, by the way, was very successful. Bernie made them all a lot of money, but it's no, what is the short-term monetary value? We can look at long-term, but it's all about the money. And if it's not specifically making us money, then no, this is not how we all became bazillionaires. Uh, So, Kurt, I, I, I still, I think that is a challenge. And as this news was breaking, I happened to be talking with someone that would probably be in our world, um, have more insight on Formula One than most of the other people we have contact to. And his immediate reaction is, this changes nothing because it doesn't bring in immediate new cash. So that's still another obstacle. I think everyone would agree for the greater good, this has got to help grow the sports. But if it's not taking the pot from, if say you're making, um, 500 million a year to 600 million a year, then they're not interested. They'd still prefer them to stay out. 
Yeah, that's the that's kind of the sad thing uh, from those of us who love competition and and love the sport and and we have difficulty getting our heads around it, you know, because you do this work. You know, we do this work on the heat on the backs of the sponsors, largely, you know, people invest money, uh, you know, it's publicity, it is ratings, it is, you know, and it's so it's not just cash. It's not just a cash game. Uh, at least that's how, you know, how we see so many sports entities grow is just through publicity. And I think, you know, we can talk about how. Formula One has made a difference and made an impact and is growing in the U.S., but it still has a long way to go. And, you know, the muscle that General Motors can add to the program uh, in the U.S. in terms of visibility, in terms of sponsorship, in terms of just, you know, creating news in the in this in the motorsports world you know, is real and it will lead to money. You know that. I know that yep. it will lead to money. And you know, we talk about the greater good, but I think from the greater good financially, it would certainly grow the North American market uh, at a at a rate that Formula One could could still benefit from. But obviously, we don't see it the way they see it. I think many of the owners, many of the people in Formula One, are begrudgingly um, helping to grow the American market. That's been a stumbling block for a while. And I think it took an American company like Liberty to get that going. And now it's, well, we can't turn down the money. So, okay, we'll race there three, four times, however many times a year, we'll take their money. But I think there's a strong possibility. Their fear is, okay, this is good. We're now taking the Americans money and more teams. Not only are we racing in America and collecting $30 million sanctioning fees, although maybe that's not exactly true because I think there might be a bit of a discount from Liberty to grow the sport in America. But many of the teams are now doing American partnership deals. And I think that they fear, I think they see this now as an untapped market that we'll go in and take these rubes money and take it back to the UK. Well, if Andretti, a true American team, because Haas F1 is not an American team at all, at all, other than the owner lives in America. Uh, but if they have a true American team with a headquarter like they're building in Fishers and an American manufacturer, whether it's a branding exercise or not, and an American driver like Colton Herta and potentially a second American driver as well, this would be the first true American team since Dan Gurney, right? Um and, and, think, and that that marketing money is more likely than going going to go to a brand like Andretti, which already has Formula One sells itself. But you add in having access to Michael and Mario, that's something that Williams doesn't offer. No one offers that. And I think you know certainly in this in this part of the world, so North America, but but largely the U.S. I think part of the fear is that Andretti is a bigger star than almost everything in Formula One this side of Ferrari. Agreed. They don't I want mean, that. They don't want that. You know, <laughs> no. I think if you were rate if you were rating brands in Formula One, and now it may depend on which country you're in, I get that. But I think if you were to just take a an overall global motorsports list of brands and and rank them, I mean you would obviously start with Ferrari. And after that you're you're pretty it doesn't go very far to get to Andretti 
And so that's a that's a rub for a lot of people. You know, look you at the down- way the Sky F1 broadcast when Mario is on site, the way they treat him. These are these are people from England. This this isn't Lee Diffie, David Hobbs and Steve Matchett who are based in the United States. This is Crofty and um, the the other Martin Brundle and, and the others that have no interest in America, have no understanding of America. But Mario Andretti resonates. And and look, he's not going to be around you know forever. Uh, but the Andretti name would resonate in every corner of the sport, and in particular, to the point you were making, it resonates in every boardroom in the U.S. If you're going to spend money, if you can't spend it with Ferrari and 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 become a a, a major player on the Ferrari team, you know then you're probably going to look to the Andretti team because it's truly American. Uh, now they have global you know, businesses and maybe for some companies that's not as important as, as it is for others, but there's a reason. And there's, this is a big topic and maybe a topic for a whole nother show, but there's a reason why Zach Brown has become uh, such has really risen the profile of McLaren. You know, McLaren went through through a period where it didn't have the clout that it does and has mm-hmm. in the mm-hmm. past. He has done that and really built the brand into one of the biggest, you know, brands in, in formula one, obviously not Ferrari, but it's, it's pretty big. And uh, the Andretti thing, you know, really strikes at that. The interesting thing is Zach Brown's, he recognizes in a positive way, what, what uh, the Andretti name means for the sport but it's in conflict with a lot of those teams. I mean, a lot of those teams, you know, don't have much of a natural uh, brand pull. You know, kind of go down through the list of teams. It's a pretty, pretty short list of teams that that can instantly walk into, uh, you know, regardless of the F1 participation, just to walk into a boardroom and say, look at us, you know. But a Ferrari can do that. A McLaren can do that. A Mercedes can do that. And an Andretti could do that. So uh, apologies, because this is an IndyCar show for talking so much about Formula One. And I think we all in some ways have grown weary of the fascination and growing spotlight shown on Formula One. Sometimes to some people thinks the detriment of IndyCar. But this is where I'm headed with this. And, And I've been in the camp. So a lot of people get really annoyed and offended when any of the IndyCar drivers say, yeah, I'd like to do Formula One, my position on that has always been, hey, I get it. If, um, you know, I, I love my job, but if uh, someone says you can host uh, Monday Night Football and it's going to pay you 15 times what you're making, you, you know, I'm a fool if I'm not listening to that. So I get that. Those jobs pay more. And, you know, frankly, it's just a slightly more impressive car. So whatever. But... Some of the, the things that I saw associated with this story, and, and I know some people have felt like, hey, let's go out and let, let's stop bowing down to Formula One and, and saying all uh, high tides raise all boats. Let's fight with them and compete. And I'm starting to wonder if that's maybe not the path that we need to st- take. When you see quotes like this, Adam Stern retweeted this from the BBC. Within F1, there is a general sense that many of those racing in American categories where teams buy cars off the shelf and run them 
with fairly small scale operations don't quite grasp just how high the level is in F1 and how complex the task. So credit to Nathan Brown for being the first to immediately retweet the picture of the totally blank Kyle Kaiser Hunko's car bumping out the McLaren in the Indy 500. So, okay, if it's so easy, why didn't you all make the Indy 500? And then he pulled up a quote from from Michael Andretti from a year and a half or so ago, too, saying it's a joke the way Europeans look at themselves all the way up here um, and weird down there. As he mentions near his chest line, they're so ignorant about American talent. So I'll repeat. They think we're rubes. They're just here to take our money. Um, Maybe this all blows up on them and the American fan base becomes annoyed. But actually, I fear that's not the case because a lot of the new fandom, the drive to survive fan, they're not reading motorsport. They're oblivious to this. If it's not covered in the new drive to survive that comes out in March, they're not going to know about this. So they do that. And then they like to come to the races they're not really paying attention to the race, but it's the thing to do right now. But maybe there's another path to this. If they ultimately do Stonewall Andretti from getting in here, who has the budget to do this, do we try to convince them to get, what is it, the Guggenheim Group, the kind of the money behind Gainsbridge that is willing to fund all of this? Can we get them to double or triple down? Maybe that's the path. Maybe they're going to be so angry if they do get shut out with check in hand, and I suspect they're willing to go above that $200 million entry fee as well to try to get them to triple down on IndyCar, invest, let's make the cars sound cooler, look cooler, look better, grow the events. It's still at a fraction of the cost to invest of what Formula One is. Um, work a way to have the broadcast, have limited commercial operations. That could all be done for well less than it would cost them to just get the expansion fee before they even try to operate a team for $250 million a year. It's probably wishful thinking, but that was one of the original thoughts that I had today as, as I'm reading this and growing a little bit more annoyed with each story I read. Well, I, I'm annoyed as well. And and I'm annoyed from the standpoint that that I think having Andretti in Formula One is a good thing for IndyCar. I think it continues to spotlight uh, the fact that uh, that he participates in in IndyCar and he participates in Formula One at the Agreed. same time, just like McLaren does. I think the McLaren participation has been good for everybody. Uh, maybe it doesn't receive as much attention in in Europe, but I know more Europeans pay attention to IndyCar because McLaren's there. I just they have to. And um so it's it's disappointing and I think eventually it will find a resolution because I don't think Michael Andretti has gone this far with this many meetings and and efforts to just let it go. He's he's not it's not it's not who he is. Maybe it still gets done. Um, if they up that expansion fee to 500 million, but I think doing the math, the Formula One owners are still going to say, that's not enough. What's in it for us? So I, I kind of had that thought this afternoon I was reading. And then Will Flanders sent me a direct message and I haven't read all of it, but I read it. And I think that he's kind of along the same sentiment as me. So I'm going to read this. Will says, I'm far from a marketing expert, but it seems to me that the time is ripe to attempt to recapture some American fans with the Andretti situation. One of IndyCar's greatest features is is that it is open to anyone who can build a chassis 
and purchase a motor. I'll pause there. And I don't know if that's necessarily true anymore. You can't really build a chassis anymore. You need to buy a Delara chassis. And, uh, but, but I see what you're saying. You can go buy the Delara chassis, make a deal with a Honda or Chevy and go on. He continues to say this stands in stiff's competition to the closed off model of modern F1 that essentially functions like a franchise model of traditional sports. I think a marketing push based on this narrative going directly at F1 could be impactful, focus it around Hunkos knocking out Alonso from the 500 or small teams like Dreyer and Reinbold. I say this as a fan of both series, but also as someone who has been seriously put off in recent weeks by the notion that F1 wants American money while remaining a closed European club, rightly or wrongly. And I see a lot of other American F1 fans who seem to feel that same way. Okay, so there you go. That was one of the ideas that I had wondered about. Will this put off American fans? Maybe this is an opportunity for IndyCar to say, here we are. This is what we do. All are welcome, just like McLaren was when, oh, by the way, they failed to to qualify for the Indy 500. I just don't, the only, yeah, I agree with all that. I just don't like, uh, I don't like the notion of tearing down the opposition just to make your product better. That's, that's delicate. Yeah. There's going to be that tapes takes a deeper think and it's easy for uh, someone on Twitter and for someone on a radio show, show to say, Hey, let's go at them. But you're right. That does take a much deeper think. Uh, and it's one of the reasons why, because that notion has been said before that we need to go after them. And it's, eh, I don't know that that really, I'm not sure you have to be really, tactical about how you do that because also keep in mind that one of the people involved mclaren is involved in both camps and you potentially have manufacturers involved in both camps and there's still some synergies there yeah and you're going to have drivers who who still aspire to be in formula one and and uh you know who are racing an indycar and and by the same token you know you're going to have and we want we want Europeans to be interested in IndyCar from a participation standpoint. You know, you can sit here and say, well, I don't, I don't like, you know, these, these guys I've never heard of. Well, it's our job, your job, my job, the the show's job to help educate. I mean, you know, people who were on the formula one path earlier in their career were guys who are household names in IndyCar today. You know, there are many of, many of those Europeans who, you know, at the point they could have, if they could have chosen, they weren't allowed to choose, but, you know, go down through the list. We're starting to really get to know Christian Lungard. We're getting to know Callum Eilat, Simon Pagano, Elio Castroneves, Tony Kanaan. All these drivers were thinking, not just Europeans, but they were thinking about Formula One, just couldn't get there. And they've become stars in our sport. So I think we have to be a little careful what we what we wish for. Um I'm not in the business because I don't think that's the right thing to do. As I said, is to tear down one to make yourself look better. Um, we try. There's still that. a smart way to do that, though, isn't yes. there? Yes. Yeah. No, I think there's a Just smart accentuating your positives without exactly. demeaning the opposition. Exactly, and I think you know we go back. You know, when NASCAR was really at its heyday, you know, IndyCar fans were were, uh, you know, put off by a lot of that. But I thought it, it required IndyCar and our sport to kind of look in the mirror and do things right and do things better when NASCAR was succeeding. It wasn't an either or, I didn't think. I thought you could all survive and succeed and thrive. Uh, but some fans never saw it that way. And, 
And and I'd hate to to think we're going to go attack and attack Formula One on this this subject. I think we just accentuate the positives. We're uh you know uh, fast, loud, and and competitive series, and and uh, that should be celebrated. You know, I don't think we got into this with Connor. It was kind of on my um, list of to dos if we had time, and we had so many other good things to talk about, but. Um, I've heard him mention on his his podcast before, maybe even mention it in our conversation, but I know he said it a couple of times on his podcast that he's disappointed that IndyCar has not marketed through social media the Alex Pelos and the Pato Awards doing free practice one. And I hear him, but I also would say it's not as simple. For, for example, I am aware of a high-ranking IndyCar official uh, who is not who, who bristles a little bit at the amount of attention that IndyCar drivers pay to Formula One, and so that's a tactful situation as well. So it's not as simple as I don't know what the right path is. It has to do go the right way. I think I lean towards what Connor is saying, and let's use it to our advantage as well. But his question has been, why haven't we seen this on social media? Well, if I'm the person running IndyCar social media, I want to know what one of my bosses thinks. And I think one of uh, the social media's bosses doesn't really want that talked about all that much. Well, it maybe can be reconsidered, but that's one of the th- – it's got to be done the right way, and I don't know what the right way to do that without making IndyCar look like a minor league. Well, I think you you celebrate when your drivers are doing cool things, you know, the coolness factor. And I think the good example today – literally today is IndyCar has celebrated its reigning series champion, Will Power, participating in the Rolex 24 at Daytona. He's got a ride. And what we do is celebrate the fact that we've got a contingent of guys going to participate in that event. And it goes from, you know, Scott Dixon, Simon Pagino, Elio Castroneves, and on and on down the list. There's about 10 drivers plus Plus, Indy Next uh, drivers as well uh, participating uh, in that event. And I think you can celebrate the coolness of it. Uh, but you do want to walk a fine line and, and focus on on the sport. So I think there can be some of it. I don't think you want to, you know, be a news outlet for every time a driver goes and participates somewhere else. But I don't think there's anything wrong with celebrating, you know, that other sports would like to have our drivers and our drivers are capable of going in there and running well and competing well and winning races. Well, I look forward to what the Andretti group comes up next to provide more value for an entry. And then what excuse the formula one group has to say no, because that's that's all they're doing right now is trying to come up with an excuse to say no. So I'm still, it's going to take lip. Someone is going to have to get behind this and convince them that this is what needs to happen. But if it's just a pure vote of the owners, I think it's still 70-30. It doesn't happen. And that is ridiculous. This should be the easiest slam dunk to include in your club that's ever happened before for Formula One, even before they partnered with General Motors. But whatever, good luck to you all. Yeah. I, I, I think it does help IndyCar, but a part of, of them being involved – and because I think so highly of, of these people, I really do like Michael Andretti and Mario Andretti and J.F. Thorman. And they put a, and, and I've, I've gotten to know Dan Towers a little bit. They've put a lot of money and effort in this. And I want that to be rewarded. 
but just a little bit of me is no, let's double down on IndyCar. And and he told Bruce, I think he said this before, but no, we, we plan on having a NASCAR Cup team in a few years, but we need to get this Formula One thing sorted first. Well, what do they got? Probably five to eight different organizations that they participate in. So I listed you know, it somewhere. It, it's good. It would take the next segment. <laughs> yeah. So that, you know, they're the, the bottom line is they're a motorsports organization. That's what they do. They, they employ people. They use re- what, what uh, resources they have to, to capitalize on the success from one to the other. And they learn things. They develop, you know, by running Formula E, they've learned things to help their IndyCar program and vice versa. And they've got other, you know, partners that, that cross promote between different uh, series. You, so you can offer everything to your partners. It, exactly. You want to be in a market? You want to be in a sport? We got that. Yeah, and, here you go. And, and the employees, you know, they've, they've yeah. got something that, uh, that offers employees. And by the way, as you mentioned, they're getting ready to build the coolest, uh, motorsports facility for a race team in the U.S. I mean, they, it's going to be as good as it gets up in Fishers, Indiana, which is, uh, a little bit northeast of, of the speedway here. And it's a showcase for the sport and it'll showcase IndyCar and it'll showcase the Andretti's and all the employees that work there. And so it's such a, such a good thing for the sport and a good thing for the city. And, and, uh, I don't know why, I don't know why we're struggling with it, but I think we know. Well, one of the other fantastic facilities is already built. We're going to talk with one of the key people later on in the program who's just joined them, Steve Erickson at Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan. I'm taking a visit to their Zinesville shop on Thursday. I'm really just going to visit with their their sports car drivers to get some of my prep done, but that worked out better doing it in person because I, I want to see the building. I've not seen it yet, so I'll be able to report back next week on what that looks like. How how dare you venture off into sports car world when you're an IndyCar guy? No, I'm just but, kidding. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, I can go to I can go to Daytona. I, every time I come back from a sports car race, I have all kinds of nuggets in the IndyCar world, uh, especially when it gets late into the season like that. Half the paddock is going to be there. So I want to make sure I'm there as well. Uh, there's been more IndyCar testing already this year. We'll get into that. Do we have final seat announcements for the few remaining seats? We'll talk about what remains there and more coming up. Trackside 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hi, this is Takuma Sato. You are listening to Truckside on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. I saw today is Bobby Rahal's birthday. And then uh, what's Arnie's official title with us? He's definitely a show contributor. He's a fact checker. So Arnie came up with this is the day to be born if you want to win the Indy 500. Uh, It's also Eddie Cheever's birthday, and it's Roger Ward's birthday as well. So happy birthday to, to all their family and friends and the individuals themselves. Uh, We've had race cars of an IndyCar variety on the track. And it's all part of what we still have remaining. We're still waiting to find out who the Ganassi oval driver is going to be. Everyone thinks it's Takuma Sato. I've heard nothing saying it's not going to be, but we've not seen that announcement yet. 
We've got, we think and hope, a Junko second car, Junko's Hollinger Racing second car that um, hopefully we hear something about soon. We've got combination maybe of Dale Coin Racing drivers. And then we had testing last week of a few drivers. Not all are going to apply for right now. So I mentioned last week that uh, we had been hearing the Robert Schwartzman, who's an F2 race winner was going to be testing for Ganassi, presumably looking at 2024, maybe to fill Alex Pelot's seat, and he did test at Sebring last week. Stingray Rob tested with Dale Coyne Racing. Kiffin Simpson tested with Ganassi as well, and he has a development deal, and there's also a commercial deal uh, involving, I think, essentially his dad's company or a company that his dad has major influence in. So, you know, people have asked, well, how did these development deals come together for drivers and you know i guess i would say they could come from a few different fashions but the easiest way to look at it is money uh whether it's indycar formula one or anything else so if you think at it from the team perspective what is their advantage to doing a development deal with a young driver a couple of ideas one in the formula one world the way it works is that uh, drivers with budget, oftentimes their family pays so they can say that they're a Formula One development driver. And that means they get a, a nice golf shirt and they get to hang out on the pit stand for the weekend and maybe do some straight line testing or something like that. Now, then there are more real deals where they're driving the car and it's based on essentially having the rights to a driver. And that's how it could work in, in IndyCar as well. So it could be just simply you're doing a financial arrangement for that. Or it could be from the team's perspective, no, we we think this driver is good, and they probably also have an access to budget, and we want to be first in line when they are ready to be able to sign them up. Uh, For example, Benjamin Peterson hung out with the Foyt team all last year. I don't think, I don't know, but I think it's very possible that there was no money exchange in that. It was just they share driver coaches. Um, Jonathan George coached Benjamin Peterson, also coached Kyle Kirkwood. There's the connection right there. And if you're Larry Foyt and you find out, yeah, this kid's in Indy Lights, he's pretty good. And, oh, by the way, he has budget. Sure. Why don't you hang around the team? We'll get to know you. You get to know us. And when you're ready to move up, maybe we have an advantage over somewhere, someone else. And I think that could be the, the possibility with Kiffin Simpson as well, because he does come, to put it mildly, well-funded. And remember the Ed Carpenter racing announcement for Josh Pearson, who's driving everything. So you know there's budget available. He's driving Indy Lights. He's driving Lamar. He's driving IMSA. Um, and by the way, I think he's pretty good. So that's the perfect combination. And from Ed's perspective, he might have like a right of first refusal that, you know, this seat would be available at some point. This is the budget that would be required, but you're going to bring that to us. And if so, so I know I got off on a tangent there, but that made me think of that because um, I've I've had that question asked of me a couple of different times. And, you know, it, to, to make sure we, we introduce it properly, we talked last week about starting to hear from the teams. Um, 
you know, on what their plans are for 2023 and how are things shaping up. And as we head into the to the test that's coming up at the end of the actually the first of next month at the Thermal Club in Southern California, we're going to talk with Steve Erickson about the Ray Hall Letterman program and where that's headed and and what's new for for 2023. And we were going to start with the Foyt team. Uh, Larry Foyt, uh, went to last night's college football national championship game to support. Probably wishes he would have just done the interview. Yeah. Yeah. To, to support, uh, TCU, which is his alma mater and, and based there in Fort Worth. So we'll, we'll try to get to Foyt next week, but the reason to have Steve Erickson, in addition to the fact he's a prominent, uh, pl- player in the paddock, and has been for a long time, and now is with with uh, Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan as their COO. Uh, it is, you know, a double. It serves double purpose to start talking about the teams that will compete in the twenty twenty three season, and Ray Hall, Letterman is first on deck for that. So, speaking of Foyt, they do have news. We had kind of heard some of these rumors, but they. I think have added a really big piece to their program. Yeah, Michael Cannon uh is is going to lead that engineering group. Uh Michael's outstanding. I mean, he has has kind of flown under the radar. Uh doesn't quite get the recognition that a lot of those engineers get. He's a really sharp individual and has had a lot of success through the years. Um he kind of is a quiet uh, person in the paddock. You don't have a lot of reason to, to have him on television. Uh, you don't have him on a radio show like some of the other engineers that we've had over the years. But Michael's, Michael's one of the really gems of the paddock. And I think he'll bring a wealth of experience to the Foyt team. And I wonder if he maybe thrives even more in that type of environment. Now he did help win a championship. He was Scott Dixon's lead engineer there. So he did get it done with the big boys, but he has overachieved in all of his previous, you know, a lot of times those teams were, well, why is that car so fast? Well, one of the reasons was Michael Cannon. So I think this is a, a really good fit. Uh, They hired a new team manager, Craig Brooks, who has, he's been the technical director for Indy lights for a while. And he's worked in IMSA as well. Uh, They've hired some new mechanics. So a lot of things there. Uh, Scott Harner moved on. Has that been announced? I think he's with Andretti now, but I may be wrong about that. There's a lot of musical chairs, and I, I take it you don't you don't recall that. I, I don't know if I've seen that in a release or I've read it somewhere or someone told me that. Well, and I'm with you as well because I I meant to reach out as I reached out I should say with the Foyt team uh, the other day. So please don't quote me on that. Maybe yeah. that's wrong. Maybe I got I, him with the entirely wrong team, but I I'm pretty certain. Scott has a job. He left Foyt, and I believe he has a job in a, a good position for next year. And I agree. That's I was going to ask the question. Hey, where was it that Scott went? And I'm with you. I think it was Andretti, but I haven't seen a release per se. Yeah, so there are a lot of changes. It's not just driver changes. It's engineers. It's team managers and things along with that. Um, so we, we talked a little bit of a test, and, and there's not. I don't think there's really anything else until we get to thermal. Right. Yeah. I don't right. think there's any, any anything on track. That's right. A lot of the drivers are going to be testing with the uh, Daytona Rolex 24 roar at the 24 test coming up here in what about uh, 10 days, roughly. And uh, so I think the next time Indy cars are on track of, at any place it will be the Thermal Club on February 2nd and 3rd. 
Okay, so I'll uh, get a quick check at uh, social media and see what we got going on. Get you set for hour two and more on the way. Trackside 93.5-1075 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hi, this is Will Power. And you're listening to Trackside. Some good tweets coming in. John, um, Mitchell, and more that we'll do at the end of the program tonight. But this needs to be a short segment. So we get ready for three full guests coming up in hour number two, including Steve Erickson uh, in just a little bit. And up next, Dylan Welch from Abacus Racing is at the Chili Bowl. He's also a, our correspondent and works for NBC. And he's going to talk short track midget racing coming up next. Trackside 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hi, this is Joseph Newgarden, and you're listening to Trackside. Hour number two. Thanks for staying with us. Trackside 93.5, 107.5, The Fan in Indianapolis. Kurt's back with us in just a few moments. Um, you know it's the new year. You know it's time to go racing. We've talked about eh, IndyCar testing a few of them at Sebring last week. We're getting more announcements about the Rolex 24. But it really feels like the new year because the Super Bowl of short track racing is going on right now. The uh, the the Chili Bowl is going on in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And our yearly correspondent, Dylan Welch, who's been able to do some other things in media as well with NBC Sports on IndyCar, IMSA, and NASCAR coverage as well. And Dylan is not just our correspondent. He is our active driver correspondent competing again this year for Abacus Racing, which is an Indianapolis-based team uh, owned by my friend Brent Cox, who is the official CPA of Jackson Lee Racing and the, uh, the, the Lee household as well with uh, Cox Beckman Goss. I think they just rebranded. They just rebranded to, uh, I believe it's Cox Goss, I think is now. I'll have to look that up on that. But anyway, that's another story. Dylan, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Kevin? Thanks for having me. I'm well. So you're uh, available to chat with us tonight while cars are on track as we speak. You've stepped outside to lessen the noise a little bit. But if they get done with in between the session, feel free to walk inside because we want to hear a little bit of car noise as well. But you'll be on track Thursday? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, and I'm, I'm right outside the building, and they just pushed off another heat race, so you'll probably probably get to hear them here in a minute because that's obviously Excellent. pretty loud still outside. But, uh, but yeah, go Thursday and, and looking forward to, to trying to get our car in the show again. So explain to our IndyCar fan base, if they haven't heard this conversation this time of the last several years, what makes this event so special? Why is it so unique? Well, it, and that is the word I think is just unique. You know, it's all indoors, obviously. And the building here in Tulsa is just gigantic. I mean, they have a racetrack, trailers for 380 cars, and a trade show all under one roof. Um, you know, so just a massive, you know, undertaking. And, and every year, um, you know, like fifteen or 20,000 people uh you know come to this race and attend it all week and so it's very intimate you know it but it has a big event feel 
Um, it feels like the event is kind of too big for the building, uh, you know, which kind of <laughs> adds to the excitement. So you might be able to hear the cars are, are oh, going Oh, yeah, now, we can so. hear it. Yeah. Yeah. And what's the entry list this year? What's the number? I think it's like 370 or 80 or something like that. It's, it's <laughs> down a little bit from last year, but, uh, but oh, still obviously quite a bit. Yeah. Down. And 24 of those get to make the big race. So normally you go to a weekend and it's all right, you know, there are 35 cars here, 11 of you are going home, or maybe there's even 50 or 60 or 110. Like we had something like that at the first BC 39, 370. Yeah, that's, and that's the crazy part. And that's what I think makes, you know, this race even that much more prestigious is that, you know, even if you, even if you're in the top, I mean, 50 or 100, you know, you're still not making the main race. Um, so it, it's an incredibly difficult and challenging week to just put everything together, uh, not have anything bad happen to you and kind of take yourself out of contention by something that's not even your fault. So it's a lot that goes into just preparing to, to be successful out here. And that's why it means so much to so many people. I think it started last night. It was yesterday the first it was, yep. So let's kind of explain this, and then you take it from your perspective as a driver, what has to happen. But but I think essentially there are five different solo events leading up to the Saturday, correct? Correct. So Monday through Friday are preliminary nights, and they, they take all 380 cars and divide them into 60 or so cars a night. You race on one of those nights, and... It's just like a normal dirt track show when you would go to your, your local dirt track. You run practice, you run heat races, um, and then you run, you know, qualifiers or lower mains. And then they advance 24 cars to each preliminary night's A main. And then basically based on either how you finish in that night's A main or just how you finish overall, if you're in a B main or a C main on your prelim night, that seeds you for Saturday. Um, so if you finish in the top two on your prelim night feature – you're automatically locked into the A main race on Saturday. Uh, and then I think if you finish like third through eighth, you go to a B main on Saturday and that's, that's for everybody. That's, you know, Monday through Friday, third place and third place through eighth place finishers uh, are, you know, seated in a, in a B main or C main or whatever it is on Saturday. So your prelim night is prelim night is, is obviously super important just to, um, you know, get yourself started off on the best foot on Saturday to try to make the main race. So if it does not go well, if you crash, get collected, whatever, then you, then what has, so you're starting in alphabet soup, explain alphabet soup and trying to wake your way forward. You know, if you're starting at one o'clock on Saturday afternoon in the double E or whatever, yeah. where do you have to finish in each of those races out of how many to advance and then keep in mind the next race you're starting in the back. Right. Yeah. And so it changes, it changes kind of as you get closer to the A main, but it's usually like four, like they take top four, top five or top six. So, um, you know, depending on what lower main you're in, you know, it, it maybe is a little different just cause they try to keep the car counts a little, little lower and stuff. But yeah, it's like, if you finish, you know, if you, even if you win your lower main, you go to the next highest main and still have to start, 16th or 17th or something, you know, whatever it is. And then you got to get all the way through those cars just to get back to the top four to keep racing. So they start, <laughs> you know, on Saturday at I think like nine or 10 AM uh, with whatever the lowest main is, you know, the Q main or whatever, you know, whatever it's going to be this year uh, and race all day until they get to the A main on Saturday. And um, there's been guys that have raced like through five or six races before. And 
um, like just a couple of years ago, a guy uh, from here in Oklahoma raced, uh, advanced through, I think like five races and was going to advance to another one and got wrecked in the final corner. And oh, wow. everybody was up in arms about it and stuff. So it's, it's really Saturday's really, you know, an entertaining day. And if you're a race fan, uh, it does not get any better. You can show up with your, your coffee in the morning and your breakfast and put your butt in a seat and not leave. And you can watch racing all day long. Dylan Welch is joining us and you've made the a main twice out of these 300 some cars. How far did you have to come the two years you made it? Where did you start on Saturday? I was in a B main both years. Okay. Um, so I, and I, but I had to start at the kind of towards the back. Like I started, I think 16th one year and then um, maybe like 12th or something last year when I made it. Um, so, you know, still had to pass cars. And that's the thing too, you know, these B mains and even the C mains um, anywhere else in the country, that's a, a main feature. You know, it's, it's multi-time yeah. national champion champions that are in these races because they only take the top two from your prelim night so even if you run third on your prelim night which is a great run you're still you know in a b main you still have to race race your way in so it's it's the best of the best you know and 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 again that's why making the a main is so uh impressive you know for anybody and every year it's, it's hard because it is truly the best you know assembly of race car drivers of all disciplines uh you know under one roof uh, who are the NASCAR stars that are here? Uh, I think this year it's just Chase Briscoe and uh, Alex Bowman because Larson's not here. Bell is not here. Ricky Stenhouse is not here. Um, so I think it's just those two. Uh, Josh Balicki is actually racing. He's a Xfinity Series and I think maybe runs some Cup Series stuff too. But um, he races tonight, actually, I think. And then on the IndyCar side this year, it's just uh, it's just Santino. So I think he races Friday, but uh, obviously good to have him have him back and giving it another go too. You think Santino is Friday? I That's think so, I, That was yeah. my next question. I just pulled up his social media to see if he had posted that, and he is not – um, yeah, here I see Bob Pockers posted. Carson Hosevar is also oh, doing right. it. Uh, yep. He's, a, he's a, a truck driver. He used to race quarter midgets with Jackson, so I've known Carson since he was yep. whatever, nine or ten years old. J.J. Yaley, who we see in both worlds or have seen, is one of the other ones as well. Um, Connor Daly, I think, was smart enough to realize, ah, I might just want to focus on the day job. Been there, done yeah. that. That seemed pretty hard. Uh, and then Santino yeah. took a big tumble last year. I'm kind of surprised he's back. I was too. And, and to Santino's credit, you know, he raced the Tulsa shootout a couple weeks ago, which is um, basically the Chili Bowl, but except for mini sprints, which are just smaller versions of, of a dirt midget, basically. Um, but they have like five or six different classes and over like 1,500 cars in that race. Um, but he raced that couple of weeks ago just to try to get some more laps and some more experience um you know to just to try to make his his week here at the chili bowl better but yeah i was i was bummed that connor didn't come back you know i i've obviously watched him the last couple of years and i thought he was kind of starting to get it figured out better. you know and, yeah. and thought he looked good but uh this place will humble you in a hurry for sure mav tv is, is it on mav again on saturday it's all on flow racing this year oh, so really every oh, no. everything is on uh flow from yesterday through the Saturday features. Well, I get that from their perspective because, it, and and we looked into actually buying it last night, Jackson pulled it up and you can't buy it for the week. It's $150. Yeah. yeah. So that's kind of a tough sell because honestly, I'm pretty busy and I'm not watching a lot of other uh, offerings that they have, but I get that their business model, they figured this is the way to get people in. So that's unfortunate. 
I think too, you know, the thing to can the thing to consider too is that most nightly streams are anywhere from thirty to forty dollars. So even even if you buy all five nights of prelim action, by the time you get to Saturday, you're basically watching for free. So I know wow. that I know people are, are up front, you know, or are scared maybe of the hundred and fifty up front, but um the flow racing or the flow sports platform is, is really awesome. I mean, they got other I've heard stuff it's besides great. racing. They've got, yeah. I mean, collegiate athletics and I mean, it literally anything you could want basically. So, um, I would encourage people if, if you're thinking about it, I know that 150 sounds like a lot, but it is totally worth it. And you will see, uh, you will see some great racing this week and, and the rest of the year, frankly, too. You can watch all of USAC. You can watch, um, Tony Stewart's all star circuit of champions. There's plenty to watch that, uh, you'd be watching for free basically after, after you get through the chili bowl. Well, I'm all for it because you know what? Uh, it makes that $5 a month for Peacock sound pretty, pretty good. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. I, I'm not. Yeah. I think that might be a pretty good value on that. All right, Dylan, uh, we'll be following along. I, I either will pony up for it this weekend or I'll have to find my favorite watering hole that has the yes. broadcast on and just to enjoy it that way. Or I'll find a friend that has the broadcast uh, and go visit their house as well. Good luck to you. Oh, hey, what's, what's your teammate's name? I know Brent has a, a teammate that he's pretty high on. Yeah, his name's Daniel Whitley. Uh, he races Wednesday, and a uh, young kid from California who uh, should be exciting. He stands on the gas, doesn't have a lot of, of midget experience, but raced for Brent's team um, out on the West Coast a couple months ago, and um, I thought he was pretty impressive. So excited to, excited to see what he can do uh, tomorrow. Abacus Racing is the team, and I looked it up. CGCPAs now, formerly Cox, Beckman, Goss, and company. So Brent's uh, always been a, a great connection for us as well. He owns a suite at the Indianapolis Motor yep. Speedway. These are the kind of friends that you like to have. And I, I know he uh, loves being involved in short track racing as well. Good luck to you guys. And uh, you've got a big month, right? That's right. Yeah, You've got a few things going on before you get to Daytona even. Yeah, get married. Um Gosh, probably ten days from now or so on the twenty first. So I hope you know the day twenty first. Okay. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll be honeymooning at the Rolex. So it uh, doesn't get any better than that. So I'll, I'll be at the Roar for you and report back, and then we'll see you the following weekend for the Rolex twenty four. Good luck to racing, and then to you and Hannah as well. We'll see you in a couple of weeks. Thanks, Kevin. Appreciate it. That's Dylan Welch. I looked it up. The number fifty eight Club Sport Abacus Racing. Uh, midget for the Chili Bowl this weekend, and also one of our co-workers on NBC Sports. So we thank Dylan for his time. Kurt joins us again. Have you ever been to the Chili Bowl? I thought oh, no, but I don't know that I want to be sick for the week afterwards that you, everyone appears to get. Yeah, I've been there uh, several times, probably four or five times uh, years ago. I mean, not that, I guess about a decade ago. And you're right, you deal with, you know, your your without getting too graphic, you're cleaning out your uh, your nasal passage for about a week. I don't know that you feel sick, but there's a lot of smoke in the air. And, you know, you're basically work, running in a, a cow barn, basically, yep. with uh, 300 and some midgets at different points during the night. And, um, yeah, it's a lot. It's, a, it's certainly sensory overload. And when I've been there, I've only been there, like, Friday and Saturday nights consecutively. So... I can't imagine. Week. Yeah, I haven't been there for like a week long activity. I just never thought it was important enough. In fact, a few of those times when I went, I would do stories for Auto Week and I would just be there Saturday. And that's a lot in itself. So I, I applaud the guys that have the courage to stay all week because it's it's a lot. I also think one of the reasons people come back not feeling their best is 
maybe yeah. they're not getting a lot of sleep either. You know, you get done racing midnight, 1 a.m., 2 a.m. or whatever, and they may not go directly back to the hotel. So, you know, the, sometimes that has of a, a little bit of factor involved in it. Um, a few other notes in this segment. I think we're up to 17 confirmed Indy Next, formerly Indy Lights confer, uh, confirmations. James Rowe was confirmed last week in a really good situation for him. He split time last year with a couple of teams. He won an Indy Pro 2000 race at the end of the year before, but he's going to complete the, I think, complete the Andretti uh, Autosport lineup. And I'll have a little more on where things stand. They have their content day uh, coming up on Friday in Indianapolis, where they'll do a lot of production, and and I'm going to go out just to have a chance to get a lot of stories from all the drivers that was very productive for me last year preparing for the broadcast so i'll be able to to meet all these drivers i think i've probably met all of them but just spend some more time with them coming up on friday i'll be there as well and and it was really beneficial for me as well just to sit in a very casual sitting 20 minutes probably with each driver and i'll come away with a lot of nuggets myself um, oh, you know, and I was talking about development drivers a while ago and the incentive for that. And I guess the other final aspect of that, along with locking in a driver for the future or maybe just straight cash, you know, the other thing that that might come to play with some of these would simply be connections for partnerships. And, for example, that might be what a Kiffin Simpson brings as much as anything, is that the connections of his father's company and his father's connections to other connections. So th- there may be some opportunities on that for that. And, and I hope we see more of that moving forward. You know, you want to see IndyCar teams involved as much as possible with ladder teams, whether it be Indy Next or quote road to Indy for lack of a better term, because I've not heard one yet for, so I'm still calling the uh, USF 2000 and USF pro 2000, the road to Indy, but th- there are some potential synergies there on that front. We'll get more into IMSA and the IndyCar participants, but the willpower connection is, is pretty cool. And maybe it just got announced because the team just got added in. Uh, the Sun Energy team, this is Kenny Habool's team, who is a fabulously successful Australian-American business person who is a very good race car driver as well and a great personality that I've I've gotten to, I wouldn't say no, but spent some time with the last couple of years in Daytona. His entry was not included the first time around. I think I mentioned this a couple of weeks ago. They had interest from something like 70 to 72 cars, and they don't have that room. So they were talking about 61. The first entry list came out at 60, and then they came back a few days later and added a 61st for Kenny Habool's team, and that's the team that Will Power is going to be involved with. That is a GTD program, so it's like the Vassar Sullivan Lexus team. Um, and I know Will has been wanting to do this for a while. All of the Penske drivers have been wanting to do it. We've gone where none of them do it. Now all three of them are in programs this year at the Rolex. And Kenny and and uh, Will actually grew up relatively close to each other. Uh, Kenny's from from Surfers Paradise, and of course Will is from Toowoomba, and that's not more than a couple hours apart. They raced against each other in Formula Fords uh, back in the day, and mm-hmm. have followed each other's careers as they've gone along. And as you mentioned, it's it's um, it's a successful businessman slash 
relatively good race car driver. And so he's also, he won class, Kenny did in, in the Bathurst, uh, 12, 12 hour. And so, and in fact, he won, he finished second in the intercontinental GT challenge race at Indianapolis race, Indianapolis motor speedway, I started to say raceway park, but, uh, so he has, um, you know, there's an interesting pathway if also if if Will wants to get to Bathurst in the future. And they finished, Kenny's team did second or third in the Rolex within the last couple of years. I haven't gotten in my research yet, but I remember them. I was in their pit and they were contending. So this is a good seat and a great opportunity. A couple of the nuggets I've seen when I was throwing out names that still might be possibilities for the remaining IndyCar seats. I mentioned Pietro Fittipaldi. I think we can probably cross Pietro Fittipaldi off because I first saw that he was joining a a full-time LMP2 team for the World Endurance Championship. That doesn't necessarily mean that he couldn't do it. I didn't really get into the schedule. He's also still, I think, a reserve driver for Haas F1. Maybe he is, maybe he isn't. But beyond all that, then he was announced as a driver for Rick Ware Racing, in the Rolex 24 in their LMP2 program. And I think that's for the full season. His tweet just said for the LMP2 championship. So between those two programs that may or may not require budget, I don't know, but they certainly require time. I'm going to guess, I mean, I suppose he could still be a part-time participant if somebody needs to piece something together, but probably not as likely to be involved uh, in IndyCar with getting a couple of other things off the ground. Here's a nugget I saw too from Nate Ryan from NBC Sports, and maybe others had it as well, but he tweeted that Chicagoland Speedway is going to be back in action this year. They will be the second track in the inaugural Super Motocross playoffs on September 23rd. So I go back to Dumb and Dumber. So you're telling me there's a chance if the racetrack still is functioning to some extent. Maybe not the full extent, but there's still a racetrack of some form there, and they are willing to accept fans, then maybe someone can resurrect it for some type of racing in the future. So I thought that was worth mentioning. Yeah, that's that's a good thing. Uh we all love Chicagoland, so let's let's keep our fingers crossed. All right, coming up in just a moment, we're starting a an impromptu mini series. Well, we're gonna try to visit with someone from all 10 teams yes should know that look that up 10 teams yeah here in the next couple of months uh different teams some have one car two cars some have four or five car whatever so our first guest is going to be from the ray hall letterman lanigan racing camp and it is timely because he just joined so he may not have all the ins and outs on everything because he's just working on his key card at this point. But Steve Erickson certainly knows IndyCar racing and motorsports from his vast background. And he's on the show coming up next. Trackside 93.5, 107.5 The Fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hi, this is Graham Rahal, and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Welcome back to Trackside, and we are now about three weeks, 
from full on-track activity in the NTT IndyCar Series, the first open test just three weeks away, February 2nd and 3rd at the Thermal Club in Southern California. And as promised, we're taking kind of a reset with the teams to discuss some of the changes they've made during the offseason. And one of the biggest really is uh, is, a, is a management restructuring, maybe not restructuring, maybe well, let's get into it here in just a minute with Steve Erickson, but uh, Rahal Letterman-Lanigan has has beefed up its its organization, not only uh, with a new technical director, Stefano Sordo, who comes from Formula One, spent the past six years at McLaren and also at at, uh, at Red Bull before that, among other teams. But Steve Erickson joined the program, uh, I think actually yesterday, first day, and Steve had been 30-plus years at, at Honda Performance Development, been a vice president, now comes as a chief operating officer at uh, Ray Hall. And so, Steve, uh, thanks for joining us. Uh, day two of your job, I guess. Uh, what's that transition been like after a couple years? I guess that was the IMSA program at Chip Ganassi Racing. Yeah, uh, last two years I, I was, with, as you mentioned, with Chip Ganassi, and uh, that was very interesting learning experience for me because I was, you know, thrown into the deep ends, so to speak on, on the team side, uh, as, as the race team manager for the sports car program. Uh, and that was pretty exciting because it started out as a one car, uh, uh, program with Cadillac turned into a two car program. So that, you know, there's a lot of work in getting a, another car together from scratch, uh, and, and realizing, you know, just how much extra stuff you have to buy once you've bought a car to make it a complete car. Uh, and, you know, traveling to all the races and doing all the hours that, that a race team does was, uh, you know, a good learning experience for me. Do you have to think differently as a, as a team guy as opposed to a manufacturer guy as you had been? I know the competition still burns, burns in your belly the same, perhaps, but how different is that from a, from just a, a day-to-day perspective? You know, it's, it's interesting. Uh, certainly the team side in my experience so far uh, was much less uh, structured on the, on the business side, uh, much, much more focused on just the pure competition side. You know, what, what's making us go faster and, and kind of everything else just followed in its wake, if you will. I would expect, uh, you know, the the facilities at, at Ray Hall uh, were were an impressive part. It's not the reason you take a job. Of course, Ray Hall just just announced and just moved into a new facility north of uh, Indianapolis Motor Speedway. But day one yesterday of moving in, day two today, give me a kind of a just a walk through and and meeting kind of new people and seeing what all the team has to offer now. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because, you know, yesterday was my first day and I had not toured the facility in advance. So <clears throat> literally I walked in the door and that was my first time to see this beautiful new facility. Uh, it's impressive. It's uh, visually, it's quite amazing. And uh, it, the layout uh, is quite sensible with the, you know, BMW program on one side and the and the uh, Honda IndyCar program on the other side. Uh, and then the support uh uh, entities uh, spread out throughout the building. Uh, but yeah, it was really nice. Uh, there's a lot of old faces that uh, I've worked with over the years uh, from my time at Honda that I got to be reunited with. 
or a few folks that uh, I had worked with at Ganassi that now work here. So that was nice. And then there's a whole bunch of folks that, you know, I was meeting for the first time. And one of the things that struck me was how many new people there are here. If, if you know, if you look at the, the size of the team, it's grown significantly in a relatively short amount of time. Of course, uh, Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan will field feel the same three cars in 2023. Graham Ray Hall in the 15, Jack Harvey in the 30, and Christian Lungard in the 45. But as we said off the top, uh, Steve Erickson, who's our guest in this segment, you're part of uh, what is really a, a, a beefing up of the management staff. Uh, Stefano Sordo joined as technical director, and then they have a, a really strong core uh, Ricardo Nault, VP of, of IndyCar operations, Derek Davidson, the team manager, and then the engineering staff and so forth. Uh, tell me how this, this dynamic works. How does the, the flow chart, the organizational chart, how does all this come together from, from the standpoint of, of your, your role and, and how everyone works together and how to make this team, uh, take the next step? Yeah, and in my role, I'm going to be working with kind of both sides of the house. Uh, obviously, Ricardo, I've known since um, <clears throat> since I first worked with uh, Ray Hall Hogan in '94, so we've we've known each other for a long time. Uh, but uh, you know, Ricardo's got Derek as the team manager, and Stefano as the technical director. He's got a, a great suite of you know under Stefano, you know Eddie Jones, Alan McDonald, Ben Siegel, Mike Armbrister. Um, Neil Fife. So they've got a, a really, really solid lineup. Uh, they've got some, some great simulation folks. Uh, you know, the facility is, is still, uh, I would say getting all the bugs worked out. Uh, it's, it's so new, uh, but you know, there's space to grow, which is great. And, uh, you know, it's, it's certainly a, a very impressive facility. So is there like name tags and, and, uh, everybody's new offices need to have like directions on how to get there. <laughs> is that kind of how, is that kind of the new school approach? Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I, I literally asked Ricardo for the, you know, plan view drawings of the building just so I could figure out which direction I needed to go to find the right person. But, uh, it, it'll be, become very, very natural here shortly. So uh, from a, from a competition standpoint, this team has, uh, you know, last one, it won its last race in 2020 at the Indy 500 Takuma Sato going to victory lane. But before that, it's been quite a while. Uh, 2017 Graham swept the Detroit weekend. Talk about just the expectations, uh, that, that come with this organization and, you know, stepping into a team role that, that victory is, you know, now a, a more difficult thing to come by than it was at Honda when when you were a fifty fifty proposition. Let's talk about the expectations the the owners have and and how that uh, how just how that plays in day to day because it's it's an important thing. You know, Hy-Vee is a great partner, and you have of course many other partners in this organization that uh, that must uh, you know needs to see results. Absolutely. And I, th- I think that, uh, you know, the hiring of Stefano was a big step in that direction uh, because he-, he brings in kind of a fresh perspective, uh, particularly in a, in a world of Formula One where, you know, you have a lot more flexibility to do, you know, a wider range of types of testing and approaches. You know, he's he's 
been through all that and seen what is best bang for buck and is bringing that viewpoint into the team and, and working with the uh, seasoned IndyCar engineers to understand the unique aspects of IndyCar racing uh, and blending those two points of view, uh, hopefully to raise the bar here. So Steve Erickson joins us, new uh, chief operating officer of Ray Hall Letterman Landing and Racing. But but Steve's been such an integral part of the paddock for for a long time. Does does it help uh, your relationship uh, with Honda? Does that do you expect there to be a positive influence uh, from team side back to Honda, or is that relatively insignificant since most teams have you know such a great relationship with their manufacturer? Uh, I think it helps in in that uh, I can provide insight. You know, if if in the past they were always used to dealing with one or two people, and and knowing that oh well they, they just have the team viewpoint, I can provide the viewpoint of knowing both sides, and and better explain uh, the things that the team is doing uh, in a way that. Honda will go, oh, okay, I see this is really headed on a great path here. Let's let's watch and see what happens here. Do you have uh, – you you had been in – you know, I guess you are an engineer, I guess, mm-hmm. by trade. What – you know, what role will you have in the – I mean, it's not – the engineering side is not your direct responsibility, but it's kind of everybody's uh, aspect of the program – how will you utilize that in this in this new role? I mean, largely, you know, a request from Bobby was, you know, to allow the, the the technical competition folks to do their job on the competition side. Uh, my my plan is when I see something where I can contribute, you know, like from from my perspective, having worked with many different teams over the years and uh, having been in charge of R and D activities. Uh, for IndyCar projects within Honda, uh, you know, I'll contribute where I think I can add some value uh, on the competition side, even though that's not my direct responsibility. In other words, see something, say something. Isn't that, uh, <laughs> isn't that yes. kind of how it works? Yep. Yep. I also read Steve Erickson joins us. I also read in your uh, taking over this, this position that one of the things that interests you in returning to IndyCar was was the future of the hybrid system, uh, the energy recovery system that that is going to add some some changes uh, to the sport here in in the next uh, you know really calendar year. How do you see how do you see this uh, this transition for IndyCar uh, and and pros and cons and and the interest that that it should bring? Yeah, you know, it's uh, having gone through. Um big chunk of last year working on the, the IMSA side with its energy recovery system. That was uh, quite interesting to see and, and potentially have has some foreshadows for what IndyCar might experience. Uh, I think now that uh, Honda and, and Ilmore have gotten more hands-on with the system and, and, you know, trying to make sure that it's a, a fully reliable uh, and fit for purpose system is a real plus. Uh, and I, and I don't think, you know, teams are going to have their hands on things until, you know, Honda and Ilmore sign off and say, yeah, this, you know, this thing's ready. We've, we've tested it. We put it through its paces. We've run it on the dyno for, you know, forever. And we've done our own track tests, et cetera. 
uh, once that, you know, that box has been ticked, uh, I think it's going to be quite exciting to, to get it into cars and, and start to learn how to use it. You know, what, what, is, what is the best way from a competition standpoint uh, to use this new tool? It'll be fun. You got to you got to test at Thermal here in a couple of weeks. Um, yep. IndyCar has not raced there. It will not race there. Uh, what what should be the objective for the teams uh, going to a facility where again it's it's not a known quantity? What what should the teams hope to get out of that test? I would certainly see it as as a, a shakedown and a, and a practice operationally um, with with members because you know. Through the off season, you know, there's always changes as as we're talking about earlier uh, in staffing. Uh, so it's a chance not only to exercise the the uh, the car itself, but but also the the folks that surround it that are so important in in making a, a success in a race. So I, I would see it as kind of a shakedown for both man and machine. Well, you're certainly at the forefront of that uh, as uh, in your new role with Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan Racing. Steve Erickson joining us. Steve, thanks for uh, taking some time. And and it's uh, I know it's 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 good to have you back in the IndyCar paddock. And I'm sure yeah. you're going to feel like a, a natural part, even though you're kind of taking on a new role. And, you know, keep those Honda guys in shape because. You know, we, we know how they can cause trouble in the paddock. So <laughs> keep them in, keep them in order. Absolutely. I'll do that. <laughs> All right. We'll be back to see what we've missed and, and, uh, go through any last minute news items. Kurt Cavan, Kevin Lee, 93.5, the fan. Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Kaskali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Kaskali is right for you. Hi, this is Marcus Erickson, and you're listening to Trackside on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan. Thanks for staying with us. Final segment tonight on the program. And we all like to learn about what places we can hear and read about motorsport. And there's a new offering that we're going to explain. It's going to be in the marketplace very, very soon. We welcome Daniel Incandela to the show. And some in the IndyCar community will maybe remember that name. And and certainly those that work in the sport would know Daniel. Uh, I met him, whatever, 15 years or so ago when he ran the digital department for IndyCar and the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. Uh, and then since then, he's worked for software companies as a marketing executive, but his family has a history in motorsport. He, his dad, Sal, uh, was the owner of the Indy Regency racing team, but he started as a Formula One mechanic and then came to America and was involved as an owner in IndyCar, Indy Lights, Toyota Atlantics, and much, much more. Daniel, it's good to catch up with you. How are you? Thanks for having me, Kevin. And that was a great recap. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. All right. So uh, your new venture is called Podium Life. Uh, That's right. I, I think first explain, let's give a, a short synopsis of what it is. And then you're in the software business now. You no longer work in motorsport. What brought you back to motorsport? Well, I'm a race fan for life. So it's hard to get that out of the DNA. And I have followed uh, racing religiously since I left the Speedway just over 10 years ago. So it's something I'm still passionate about. And one of the things I have realized as a race fan 
is that if I am searching for all the great products out there that allow us to be better race fans, there is no centralized location for that. You have to know the brands or the websites and search um, all over place to find them. So if you're looking for the latest in esports gear, um, the latest artwork, artworks coming out, books, gear, merchandise, you name it, Podium Life is going to aggregate and curate all of those things into one location so that as race fans, race fans all over the world, completely agnostic of what series you're following, can come and join Podium Life and, and see what's out there. So we really needed you about a month ago when people are asking for book ideas for Christmas gifts and things like that. So this is going to be a great resource uh, all year round, but certainly next next year as well. Now, what's the connection to what you do now? Uh, I, I'm going to guess your skill set now gives you an advantage over your traditional uh, editorial uh, type of background. Yeah, I would say, you know, I'm, I'm describing this as a fan, but this is, this is very much a business endeavor. And so it, it's great because it combines my background back to the days of when I worked in racing, which was digital strategy and, and content strategy, and now combines it with what I've been doing in, in the software and technology space, which is marketing. And so we're taking storytelling from racing and turning it into a business but it's really about celebrating the fans. And so we, we want to showcase all of the great things out there from all over the world. Uh, but we also want to start telling different, different types of stories behind the great culture of racing um, and, and learning more about the lifestyle and what goes, goes on behind the scenes. So it's going to be a combination of incredible, incredible products that you can buy, but also behind the scenes looks into, um, you know, what is a driver pack in their personal backpack when they go to a race weekend what headphones do they use what are their sunglasses things like that mm -hmm. uh, so that fans can be better race fans and then i'm assuming you're going to get into the stories behind racing personalities it might not necessarily just be drivers you know some of the things that we in the tv world talk about that we want to give fans a connection to these drivers but it's often difficult to do in the confinements of a television broadcast that's something that you can do with more feature oriented types of stories. Yes. And, and I am, I'm very proud to be an Indianapolis resident and that this, this project is born, born here. Um, but the fact is racing is celebrated all over the world. So we want to tell stories from all over the world across every potential series and, and those stories are important. I think it, it builds a stronger connection to the culture of racing. I think what we've seen from uh, you know, Drive to Survive on Netflix is that that has had an incredible effect on all forms of racing and has created younger and newer fans uh, that I believe are hungry for different types of content. And so we want to bring those stories alive. An example of that is... Um, if you think about someone like Toto Wolf from Mercedes and F1, who has taught classes and done studies at Harvard University around leadership. And so how can we bring leadership advice from other team owners or others in the, in the field of motorsports that I think readers and race fans could connect to mm -hmm. and, and build a stronger allegiance to a team or a driver or whatever it is. But racing has been going on um, for over a hundred years now. And, we want to 
we want Podium Life to celebrate everything that goes into that. And again, it, it's all about the fans. Daniel Incandel is joining us. The, the new venture, the magazine, is called Podium Life. I cannot even begin to think about what it takes to start a, a venture like this. First of all, is, it, is this all digital um, or is are there hard copies involved? Um, initially, it would be digital, although we would like to do um, an annual publication yep. uh, in, in the future. But as of right now, it'll be all on PodiumLife.com, which we are launching at the 24 Hours of Daytona on January 25th. Okay. And then I, I saw Joseph Newgarden tweet about it the other day. So um, he's involved in some way or is kind of like me and just said, hey, I know you, Daniel. I want to help you any way I can. Uh, yeah, so there's um, four of us that are co-founders, myself, uh, my friend and colleague, Stephanie Capuch, uh, Brian Simpson, who I worked with at Speedway and is still involved in racing and runs Dream Digital. And yeah. then lastly, Joseph is also a co-founder, um, has been very involved in this. And between the four of us, we've been driving the strategy and all of the work behind the site. And then uh, I am hopeful Joseph will help promote it down at Daytona with some of his friends to make the biggest splash. Yep, we'll stay on him for that. And for those that don't recognize the name Brian Simpson, I don't know if we'd give him full credit for it, but he's definitely, he was on the ground floor of bus bros with with Joseph and uh, Scott McLaughlin. And he does a lot of the creative and the, the digital assets for several drivers. Really, really talented. And you guys worked together back in the day, so we know his work. Uh, and so that lends a lot of credence to this project as well. Um, so the 25th is when we'll be able to find it. A- any sneak peek of anything that we can look forward to, a feature on anything that we should look forward to in that first issue? Uh, all kinds of content. So I think you're going to be blown away by all the things out there for race fans. Uh, some predictable, some totally weird. It's been fun researching that. But I think if you, if people are that excited, you can actually go to the, the website right now and sign up. So you'll be the first to notified. We have some content and a video on there right now, but we'd love for you to sign up so that we can let you know immediately when it's launched. And then we want more ideas. Uh, we want to capture everything out there. And I think we've done a good job, but I'm sure we've missed some things. Daniel, it's good to catch up with you. I wish you all the best. We look forward to following and reading and, and learning more. Same to you, Kevin. Thanks so much. Daniel Incandela, the new digital magazine is called Podium Life, and you can find more at PodiumLife.com. It debuts January 25th, ahead of Rolex 24 weekend. All right, a couple of other nuggets. Um, I see Jimmy Johnson tweeting that he's got big news on the Today Show tomorrow. It may just be simply announcing that he's driving the Daytona 500 and what the car number is and the sponsorship, but... I'm still not ruling him out for the Indy 500 or something related to IndyCar because there are still seats available with Ganassi, with Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan. You know, can they work out the Chevy Honda thing? So I'm going to say there's a chance there. And there's uh, maybe some other things that we'll learn. We got to learn some things here really soon. So stand by on that. Uh, Cam Soup SL said, was there any talks about IndyCar going to Las Vegas instead of F1? And if there wasn't, Why? Why is money? F1 is the shiny new toy right now. 
And as much as we would love to see IndyCar in a street race, it's majorly expensive. And the new hip thing to do is Formula One, and that's what got that past the finish line. Hey, maybe if that doesn't work down the road, there's the infrastructure in place for an IndyCar event. But no, I don't think that was realistic at this point. Paul asks, uh, Gene Haas's team has struggled since entering F1. Why will Andretti's experience be any different? Well, it could be better funded. More money equals more of an opportunity. And um, I th- Haas has not been that bad. It's not like they've been a disaster. They have had their moments. So I think they have actually positively shown that you can come in as a new entrant and be competitive relatively quickly. And we're really out of time. So, John Day, thank you for the tweet. We'll get more. Uh, John asked about the latest on Sato. We talked about that a little bit. TBD, stand by. Next Tuesday night, only an hour, 8 until 9. Join us then here on 93.5 and 107.5 The Fan.